Hello, this is Anya Leonard, founder and director of Classical Wisdom. You're listening to Classical Wisdom Speaks, a podcast dedicated to bringing ancient wisdom to modern minds. In honor of this month's Classical Wisdom Literary Magazine, which is on ancient Persia, we have a special guest for today's episode. I'm speaking with Stephen Dando Collins, the award-winning author of 40 books, including Rise of an Empire, on which the major motion picture 300 Rise of an Empire was based. In today's discussion, we talk about his most recent book, Cyrus the Great, which delves into the true history of the founder of the Persian Empire. But before we begin, a quick thank you to our Classical Wisdom Society members who make this podcast possible. If you would like to become a Society member and help support the classics, please go to classicalwisdom.com and click start here. Now, on to the truth about the founder of the Persian Empire, why Cyrus was considered great, the anointed one, as well as one of the originators of human rights. Does he deserve these incredible accolades, and how can we really know anything about him? Uh It's such an interesting topic. I think uh, Cyrus the Great is one of those just absolutely fascinating characters from the ancient world. Uh, But he's not given that much attention normally. I mean, he's given maybe more attention than some people from ancient Persia. Uh, But I guess maybe a good point to start for today's interview is to just remind everybody who exactly was Cyrus and why he's considered great. Okay. Um, For the uninitiated, Cyrus the Great was the founder of the Persian Empire. So he was born around 600 BC. And uh, he was uh, a, a native of Persis, uh, a, a land in the uh, southwest of today's Iran. And at that time, it was um, part of the empire of the, the Medes, the Median Empire. And uh, his grandfather was the, uh, the king of the Medes. And uh, he grew up. Uh, through a very, uh, via a very fraught childhood, uh, grew up in his grandfather's court and rose through the court to become the uh, cupbearer, which uh, was quite a high-ranking post in the hierarchy of the, of the civil service of the, of the Median Empire. If you equate it with the Egyptians, the, the cupbearer to the pharaoh was the third-ranking uh, official after the vizier and uh, then the treasurer so it was a, it was a high ranking post but he still had to literally serve wine to the king to his grandfather and uh, it's interesting that he, that, uh, he was 48 before he actually uh, started on his on his career uh, and he was so he he went from becoming a 40 year a middle aged um, uh, wine waiter <laughs> uh, to becoming uh, the, uh, uh, the ruler of uh, the largest empire known to man at that time. Wow, I can't imagine that cup bearing would have been very helpful practice for becoming that position. 
uh, I, at least got to know everybody in the hierarchy, who did what to whom. And uh, so he, he was well positioned. Uh, so later on, he, he gets the accolade of uh, being anointed by God. And he's, in fact, one of the only, I think, non-Jews to get such a, yeah. a credit. How did he get that, that saying, that, that um, high prize? And uh, why, why did he help the Jews? Okay, so we have to go back a little way. So as I said, at the age of 48, uh, he leads a rebellion of his own people, of the Persian people against his grandfather, uh, the king of the Median, uh, ruler of the Median Empire. And uh, uh, he is successful, but after a number of battles, but he doesn't kill his grandfather, uh, which was unusual in those days. If you, if you beat a, uh, another ruler in, in battle, your fate was usually sealed, but he allowed him to live. And this is one of the, the great things about uh, Cyrus. Uh, he often uh, allowed his uh, his, uh, the, the other kings that he conquered, not only to live, uh, one, Croesus, the famous, as rich as Croesus, uh, king of uh, Lydia, he uh, took on as one of his senior counsellors, senior advisors. Um, so Cyrus leads the Persian people via various uh, ruses and a number of battles uh, and finally defeats his grandfather. So he, the Persians now rule the Median Empire. And uh, so that, and that was quite an extensive empire in the Middle East at the time. Uh, then he had to deal with the Lydians, King Croesus, as I mentioned, uh, famously uh, considered the richest man in the world uh, for good reason. He had treasuries uh, filled with, uh, with gold and gems and, and uh, fabulous furniture. And when guests came to visit him, they would be taken on a tour of, of Croesus's wealth before they actually met the king. So Croesus saw an opportunity to invade part of Medea, which he uh, had long had his eye on. Now that this, this Persian uh, fellow Cyrus was running the, the uh, Medean empire uh, and assuming that he'd have his hand full elsewhere, uh, bringing uh, all the, uh, the subject nations in uh, the, the Medean empire under control. So uh, the Lydians invade the northeast of uh, Medea, and um, so Cyrus is forced to, to go to war with the, with the Lydians, but he, he does it very successfully and uh, does something that the uh, uh, generals of the time rarely did. Uh, normally, uh, if you're having a war, uh, everybody went home for winter and uh, then came back and started again the following spring. But uh, uh, Cyrus, uh, after a, um, a battle that forced Croesus and his army to retreat, followed him back to Sardis, his, uh, his capital, over winter and, uh, and defeated the Lydians. So he then conquers uh, the Lydians. So Lydia, uh, which, is, uh, which uh, took up most of Asia Minor, uh, is now part of his empire. And for a number of years, uh, he and his, uh, one of his uh, senior generals, Harpagus, uh, spend uh, a decade uh, conquering all the, the city-states of Asia Minor, the Greek city-states. Meanwhile, the Babylonian Empire to his south uh, has been watching him warily and uh, finally he decides uh, to in invade uh, Babylonia to restore uh, nations 
which are part of the Babylonian Empire, to restore freedom to them. Uh, nations like uh, Elam, uh, which had a, a similar ethnic background to the Persians. So um, uh, Cyrus goes to war with the Babylonians. And uh, after a, a decisive uh, field battle, uh, he approaches Babylon and uh, very cleverly uh, enters Babylon via a commando raid and takes Babylon. And uh, he uh, takes Nabonidus, the, the king of Babylonia, uh, a prisoner, and again, spares him. So now Cyrus controls all the Middle East bar Egypt. Uh, one of his uh, ancient biographers claimed that he also conquered Egypt. He didn't, it was his son Cambyses. But now we have this massive empire, which uh, Cyrus uh, controls. And one of the first things he does at Babylon is freeze uh, prisoners of the Babylonians that have been taken in previous wars and allows them to go home. Uh, we know this from a, uh, a thing called the Cyrus Cylinder. In those days, their documents uh, were, were uh, uh, made on clay or on uh, on stone cylinders, where they would etch uh, all this lettering uh, to uh, tell a story. And on the Cyrus Cylinder, uh, which he buried in the uh, in the foundations of uh, a temple at Babylon, he tells the story of what he'd done the previous year, and uh, and one of those things was to free the people. Uh, who'd been enslaved by the Babylonians. And he lists who they are. And uh, they're all, all the people he mentions are from east of the uh, Tigris River. But at the same time, uh, he allows the Jewish people who under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of uh, Babylon, had been taken from Jerusalem uh, to Babylonia. Uh, he allows them to go home. He makes no mention of this on the Cyrus cylinder. It seems to be... Uh, just uh, incidental uh, to the the, the, uh, the act of freeing the people from east of the Tigris River. The people from east of the Tigris River all worship the same gods as Cyrus. But um, one of uh, Cyrus's uh, uh, Greek biographers, Xenophon, said that uh, Cyrus uh, was very amenable to requests from his subjects. And so uh, uh, Cyrus allows the Jews to go home uh, to Jerusalem. Now, if you read the Old Testament and then you read Isaiah 45, it says, this is where, as you say, Cyrus is described as anointed by God, or the God of the Jews, for releasing uh, the Jews and allowing them to go home. But it also says he gave them permission to rebuild their temple and he gave them back many of the, uh, the artifacts from the temple that have been looted by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and so this is the reason that Cyrus is described as anointed by God. It's, uh, according to the Old Testament, uh, uh, Cyrus was chosen by God to free the Jews and allow them to go home and rebuild their temple. Um, could Cyrus um, the Great be considered the originator of human rights, um, considered sort of perhaps the true inspiration behind the Bill of Rights? I would just love to say yes, but... Uh, and this is a case of, dare I use the phrase, fake news. Um, uh, Thomas Jefferson uh, read the Cyropedia. He was a, a Greek uh, uh, who lived a century or so after Cyrus. Uh, and he wrote this book 
uh, and which he uh, claimed to be quoting the great wisdoms from Cyrus. I believe Cyrus was a very, very wise man and a, a, a great, uh, great ruler. Uh, but uh, historians generally believe that most of the quotes attributed to Cyrus by Xenophon uh, were um, Xenophon's own inventions. He, he was a, a student of Socrates and uh, I think he wanted to um, emulate so Socrates and the way he found to do it was to put, put his words in the mouth of Cyrus. So Jefferson, we know, uh, adored this book because he wrote copious notes in the margins. Uh, and at the time that he was conceiving the American Bill of, uh, uh, US Bill of Rights. Uh, but essentially, his contribution was based on a novel uh, because these, uh, these creations of Xenophon were, were, were totally fictitious. There's no record anywhere that equates with uh, many of the observations and uh, wisdoms that he put in the mouth of, of Xenophon. So if you come forward then to 2006, there was a book published uh, by in the US by Larry Hedrick. Hedrick, sorry, uh, it was a how-to book. It was called Xenophon's Cyrus the Great: The Arts of Leadership and War. And so uh, uh, Larry Hedrick took Xenophon a step further and made him a, a how-to to guide, um, and added his own flourishes. And we find that in um, 2017, early 2017, the new uh, US President Donald Trump sends a message to the people of Iran at, at the time of uh, Nowruz, the, uh, the Persian-Iranian New Year. And he said, Cyrus the Great, a leader of the ancient Persian Empire, famously said that, quote, freedom, dignity and wealth together constitute the greatest happiness of humanity. If you bequeath all three to your people, their love for you will never die. Well, this is a total fiction. Um, so, much of uh, Cyrus's modern-day reputation is is uh, is built on a on a, a, a rather rocky foundation. It's really fascinating because you think of the Socratic problem, and that's sort of a common one that maybe uh, the classics lovers are more familiar with, in which you can't dis distinguish between Socrates and Plato. Um, so you mentioned that we don't really know what Cyrus did. Is there sort of a Cyrus Xenophon problem, or is other so, yes. Um, and there's a, a Cyrus Ctesias uh, uh, problem too, uh, a later author who wrote, it, wrote about, uh, extensively about Cyrus. Um, uh, modern uh, historians and biblical scholars have found his work to be uh, essentially fiction too. Even uh, ancient authors like Cicero found uh, uh, these other authors to be uh, Unfaithful. Uh, the, the one author that, that uh, we can we can rely on is, I think, is Herodotus, uh, and he wrote uh, a, a, an extensive history of, of uh, Cyrus, which in many cases is, back, is backed up by inscriptions that have been found by archaeologists over the last few centuries. So even Herodotus, on occasion, is is incorrect. But people like Catesius, he, he said that uh, Cyrus conquered. Uh, um, Egypt. Well, he didn't. It was his son, Cambyses. So there are numerous examples where he was in error. Uh, so uh, uh, when it comes down to it, I mentioned earlier the site now in the British Museum, and uh, this is um, cited as uh, a, uh, an edict and one of the original um, uh, declarations of human rights. But if you read it, 
uh, is not an edict. It's, it's, it's a little bit like a, a modern day uh, press release from the White House. It, it's telling about what, what the leader has done uh, and, and, and what a great man he is, uh, in part quoting him directly. Um, so in turn, and this is where we decide bringing the people from east of the Tigris and, and allowing them to go home and so on. But it also goes on to, uh, to tell how uh, Cyrus uh, worshipped the Babylonian gods, the, the gods of the Middle East, the Mesopotamian gods, uh, Marduk and his son Nabu, and uh, temples at, at, at Babylon. Uh, so to call this a, a, a human rights declaration, which it is in the United Nations, there's a copy, if you go to the UN, in a glass box there, and it's called the very first human rights declaration. It, it, it's not that. And, and I'm not the only one to say that. Many classical scholars have, have come to that conclusion. It's just a statement of, of what Cyrus had done in the last year or so. Well, that's fascinating. Um, um, you mentioned before the historian um, Cetius. Is that his how yeah. Yeah, um, Catesius. Catesius, thank you. Uh, it's interesting because, uh, you know, I hadn't really heard of that historian before. Is he, um, he didn't, he doesn't really feature as much. Did he not really get acknowledged as being very valuable? He, he wrote a book called uh, The Persica. And uh, he, uh, I mentioned Xenophon. Xenophon fought uh, about a century after Cyrus in the army of another Cyrus, Cyrus the Younger, who was trying to overthrow his brother as the, uh, the uh, king of the, the Persians and Xenophon was in the uh, rebel army and in the other army was the Catesius who was a, a doctor and he uh, actually patched up the, the, uh, the king uh, during the battle and uh, he claimed uh, that he, he worked for, the, for the, the Persian king for 17 years and had access to their archives and so he wrote this Persica which he claimed uh, was uh, was uh, a much more uh, uh, official and uh, uh, correct history than Herodotus. Herodotus had written about 40 years before him, and he actually mentions Herodotus and says that he wrote fables. And you know, this is an early example of uh, 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 yeah, authors uh, <laughs> trying to put down uh, fellow authors. Uh, and uh, but uh, many uh, scholars today. Uh, 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 discount uh, much of what Catesius wrote, although some of his information is backed up by inscriptions and uh, and can be verified. But so I mean, it, it's really funny to me because Herodotus is usually the one who's considered not very factual. You know, it's you're like, oh, Thucydides is the father of history, and you know, Herodotus is the father of lies. Is <laughs> he's a one of the more scathing um, um, reviews of poor but, Herodotus? Uh, so it's weird to me that Cicero called uh, Herodotus uh, the father of history. He, he he believed the opposite. Yeah, well, so maybe I I do think we should be giving Herodotus more justice than maybe previous scholars had done. But um, why why is there such a discrepancy between the literary evidence and the archaeological evidence when it comes to the the other historians? Um, I think. Uh, you know, they used uh, these other historians, like Xenophon in particular, they used it as an opportunity to uh, show how clever they were uh, in terms of, uh, of philosophy and, uh, and, and so on. Uh, his, his history of, uh, uh, of uh, Cyrus uh, would make a great movie. <laughs> it has all the elements of you know, great battles and uh, a love affair and, uh, and, and so on, but uh, it, 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 it gets 
many of the names wrong and places and, and so on that, that, that we know uh, sources to, to be true. So um, Herodotus, uh, the, the good thing about Herodotus was he, he says, uh, he gives you, um, he said there are many competing stories and he tells you about the, the different versions uh, of, uh, in particular, the childhood of Cyrus, uh, uh, but then tells you uh, the, the one that he believes uh, to have been the, the, the more factual one and, and why. So he's, in that respect, he's a little like a, a modern historian, you know, a comparative historian will, will, will lay out the different uh, versions that are available and then, uh, and then tell you why he uh, believes uh, a particular version is, is more reliable than the others. And just to go in a different direction for a moment, um, what is the connection between Cyrus the Great and the Zoroastrian religion? Because I know that kind of comes out of ancient Persia, and he sort of had a, an interesting role in that. Ah, again, um, because of this, this reference anointed by God uh, in the Old Testament, many authors down through the centuries have tried to paint Cyrus as uh, believing in a single God. And uh, uh, Zoroaster was a, uh, a priest in uh, Mesopotamia, uh, perhaps 400 years before Cyrus, it's a little hard to date exactly when he lived, uh, who uh, believed that a single god, Ahura Mazda, uh, was uh, the, 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 the ruler and, and creator of life. And uh, even today, people follow his teachings, which, which were fabulous teachings. He, he taught that uh, uh, you should li live a life of good without expecting any reward. And so a lot of people have, have, have tried to associate uh, Cyrus with uh, uh, Zoroaster uh, as believing in, in a single God. But if you read, I go back to the Cyrus cylinder, he says he believed in uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, group of gods uh, headed by Marduk and his son, Nabu, uh, who were worshipped by most of the people of his empire. He didn't believe in a single God. Um, several... Uh, generations later, we come to Darius, a uh, su uh, successor to, uh, to Cyrus, and he, uh, on uh, one of the inscriptions, uh, declared uh, his uh, belief in Ahura, uh, Ahura Mazda uh, and uh, a single god. Uh, and he, he claimed that his, his uh, ancestors had likewise uh, worshipped this, this single god. But there's, there's no, uh, n nothing to uh, link uh, Cyrus. Uh, with this uh, uh, Zoroastrian uh, uh, faith. Ah, it's really fascinating. It's amazing how history changes when people sort of want it to fit a narrative. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, 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 I feel for the archaeologist who spent 20 years digging in a particular part of the desert and he finds something and he's been hoping to find a, you know, a relic of a particular pharaoh and uh, he finds something and desperately claims that it, 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 you know, it proves his theory. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, this, this is this has happened with with, with writers and historians to uh, down through the centuries of, of trying to uh, create a, a narrative uh, uh, from uh, from not very solid uh, foundations. Well, I guess everybody has a theory that they love to make prove right. Um, maybe speaking of uh, various theories that people have, um, I noticed at at the beginning I've. I, was fortunate enough to get an advanced copy of your book and I noticed yeah. that you had a coin at the very beginning of your book uh, in yeah. which people want to compare Trump to Cyrus the Great uh, and I know I've spoken to you in the past people also like comparing Trump to Caligula and just about 
everybody. So um, do you think that there's any comparison? Um, to answer that question, I asked uh, Professor David Richter, uh, Professor Emeritus at uh, uh, New York University, um, who is a, a, a scholar in, in this field of comparative literature, to look at the, the biblical narratives for the, and the Jewish texts to see if there's any... Oh, okay, my screen's gone. Okay. Um, I asked uh, Professor Richter to, to look at um, uh, the, uh, the Old Testament and Jewish uh, texts to see if there's any uh, historical uh, validity to the claim that <clears throat> Donald Trump is the so-called uh, new Cyrus. And uh, historically, he, he, he very uh, effectively points out that historically there's, there's no comparison. Uh, they're very different people. Uh, you know, Cyrus was a, a conquering general, uh, a very magnanimous man, <clears throat> a very kind and generous man. And uh, you know, he, he says that in this afterword in my book uh, that uh, the comparison doesn't stand up. It's, it's, um, I always think it's really important for us to study ancient history, but we do always need to be careful sometimes in overlaying past events with current events. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. They say history repeats itself, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a, a fraught exercise, I think. Um, now, just to finish up, um, because you've been already so generous with your time, can you tell our listeners what you're working on now? Okay. Uh, uh, coming out next year, again with uh, Turner Publishing, uh, is a book called Conquering Jerusalem. Uh, take, uh, taking uh, uh, a springboard from this book and then the reference to uh, Jerusalem and the return of the Jews and uh, the uh, rebuilding of uh, the temple there. Uh, my my uh, field uh, of... of um, uh, study in particular over the last 30 years or more has been the, the legions of ancient Rome and I've written a number of books in, on that subject and uh, a subject that's always fascinated me uh, was the uh, uh, the Roman campaign to crush the uh, Jewish revolt uh, of AD 66 to 73 and uh, and I've covered it in several other books uh, in, um, in, in lesser detail but I've now gone back because there have been so many uh, fascinating finds, archaeological finds in particular, uh, uh, since I've uh, first starting, started writing on this subject, uh, in reference to the, uh, the taking of Masada and, uh, and the, uh, the Roman campaign to, uh, to conquer Jerusalem. So uh, I've, I've gone back and readdressed that. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I, it's fascinated me, this, this new evidence, and uh, it, it, uh, it combines with what I'd previously learned about uh, uh, both sides. I, 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 I try to give the picture from both sides in, the, in this, uh, this battle for Jerusalem. And can I just ask one very last question? What number book will this be for you? Uh, that one will be book number 44. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm working on book number 45 as we speak. So. Wow, you're very prolific. Um, I'm very impressed. Uh, so I just want to say thank you again for speaking with me today. And I will share relevant links to your book um, below. And yes, it's very, very interesting. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. Thank you for listening to Classical Wisdom Speaks, a podcast dedicated to bringing ancient wisdom to modern minds. 
Classical Wisdom Society members can learn more about ancient Persia in this month's Classical Wisdom Literary Magazine, including a feature article by Stephen Dando Collins delving into the true history of Cyrus the Great. Find out how to become a Classical Wisdom Society member by going to classicalwisdom.com and clicking Start Here. For information on Stephen's other books about ancient history, please visit stephendando-collins.com.